Julie, today I'm going to be joined by Eileen Mullaney, who's going to be leading our global mobility consulting practice. Mobility is evolving in very different ways, and I think it's important that all of our listeners are mindful of the changes. I agree, Margie. And as I know you're going to be moderating this episode, I think some of the things that our listeners will really want to hear about is travel ramping up and that travel is one of the hot audit areas and that companies will need to put in place some formal policies to manage business travel. So with that, Margie, let's talk tax. You're listening to Tap Into Tax, PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists. This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Welcome listeners, this is Margie Dungeshaw. I'm a tax partner specializing in helping clients achieve more efficient tax reporting and strategy operations. I also lead many of our tax consulting teams. On this episode, I'm joined by Eileen Mullaney, who leads our global mobility consulting practice. Eileen assists clients with aspects of their global mobility programs with an overall goal to improve the effectiveness and efficiency and facilitate alignment with their organization's goals. Eileen is here today to share results and insights from our global mobility policies and practices survey for business travelers and commuters edition. We will be referring to that as the survey throughout the podcast. Eileen, thank you for joining me today and welcome back to Tap Into Tax. Thanks so much, Margie. Today, we will explore mobility program strategy, benefits, and importantly, tax considerations for business travelers, frequent business travelers, and commuters domestically, state to state, as well as cross borders globally. So Eileen, can you kick off our discussion today with the key mobility priorities for companies over the next two years? Of course. Before COVID, companies had seen tremendous increases in both business travel and commuter volumes. While we all saw a sharp decline in business travel during the pandemic, we are starting to see business travel start up again, and many companies expect to see this travel trend increase over the next two years. We have seen that mobility has evolved in new and different ways. There have been significant changes in the regulatory environment which has really resulted in a heightened focus on compliance for organization. When we asked our survey participants, what is their top mobility priority? Top of list was risk and compliance. Many companies are putting formal programs in place for travelers and for commuters to address these considerations. What we have seen is that the common reason for this renewed focus is that business travel continues to be a highly audited area in routine payroll audits. That's both domestically in the U.S. with New York and California at the top of the list, as well as internationally. Internationally also has the added complexity of aligning with immigration authorities. So work permit issues, business visas all become linked to tax status for many jurisdictions. Other priorities also included the employee experience, cost management for organizations, program and policy strategy, and just overall the operational excellence of running programs like this due to the complexity. I think mobility can be a very tricky area. 
both from a managing risk and compliance, because tracking business travelers and commuters, it is not an easy task. So before we continue, there's a lot of important vocabulary here for us to all understand. Can you quickly define some of the terms we're going to be using throughout our discussion today? Happy to, Margie. And I agree, it can be a little bit tricky. There are generally three populations of travelers that we'll be referencing in the discussion today. The first is a business traveler. Like many people, this is an employee that might travel occasionally for business to various locations and may not be part of a formal program or arrangement. They may not have an immigration requirement. They may not have a tax compliance requirement. Frequent or extended business traveler is an employee who travels frequently, quite often to the same location on a formal arrangement. This traveler may have an immigration requirement and more often than not has a tax compliance requirement. A commuter is an employee with recurring travel to the same location for a predetermined period of time. All of these can be domestic travelers or commuters, or they can be cross-border or international travelers and commuters. Very helpful. And thank you for setting the stage for this because that terminology is going to be incredibly important. So you mentioned earlier that there have been many shifts in the regulatory environment. As borders reopen and business travel resumes, I imagine companies are struggling to own and manage this new mobility landscape. How are companies planning to return to a consistent mobile experience for both the employee and the employer? The answer, honestly, Margie, is how. The how varies by company, but one thing remains constant across all organizations, and it's a connected framework for mobile employees is more important than ever. So organizations' mobility framework will include all of the possible ways that someone can travel or move or even relocate. Developing a formal policy can help the organization actively manage business travel and as well as commuter employees. And this can really help to reduce the organization's exposure to risk. When we think about policies, the excuse that you don't have a policy or you don't know where your employees are is not something that's widely accepted by taxing authorities. In the survey, just over half the respondents, 53%, said they do have a formal mobility policy in place to support business travel as well as commuter arrangements. 37% of respondents do not yet have a formal policy. And about the remaining 10% do review these requests on a case-by-case basis. As I mentioned, first and foremost, a policy is needed. A formal policy will address tax considerations, which is certainly an area of risk for companies across various types of travel and commuting. For example, if we think about domestic travel and a person is traveling to a specific state, is the employer required to report income and withhold employment tax for that business trip? From an international perspective, the same would apply. Does the employer have to report income and withhold tax for the business trip? But that also includes things like local social security and what are the immigration requirements that the employee has during that business trip. An effective policy should also reflect the organization's risk profile by considering things like a day threshold and will allow you to execute the approach that works for your employees. It'll also consider what happens if the employee is subject to additional tax, either domestically or internationally, potentially tax reimbursement considerations, as well as support for tax compliance services. And as you mentioned before, Margie, this is complex and one size certainly does not fit all. 
It really sounds like an effective mobility policy can alleviate some of these compliance concerns and help manage overall risk, both for the employer and the employee. But from what I'm hearing you say, there are likely nuances between different travel programs like domestic and global travel versus just regular commuter programs. So let's dive a little deeper into these. Eileen, what does a typical domestic business travel program look like? For a typical domestic business traveler program, most organizations, 65%, would include tracking of all travelers, not just the executive team or project teams. Most of those organizations, 60%, will also include business travel to all states the employees are traveling to, rather than just focusing on higher risk states where the level of audit activity is a bit higher, say New York State or California. And more than 50% of companies use a company-determined threshold. So this is really kind of balancing the tax requirements with some practical approaches. For example, there may be one business traveler the company has that goes on a one-day business trip to a day one state. Day one meaning income reporting requirements are due on day one. Companies may make some determinations that that may not be an area that they're particularly concerned about or they're willing to accept the risk. Day thresholds are a critical design element for these policies, and obviously corporate tax is critical to these decisions. As companies will report income and withhold applicable state tax for business trips, 88% of companies do not reimburse any excess taxes the employee is responsible for. And this is based on the assumption that the employee can claim a credit for those additional state taxes that they paid on their personal income tax returns. Very interesting to note, of the 12% of companies that do reimburse excess state taxes, the majority of these companies either have headquarters or large portion of their operation centers in low or no state tax locations. Ah, that is interesting. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So moving on to global travel, how does this compare to a typical global business travel program? So while we see some similarities, there are some differences. For a global business traveler program, like domestic, most companies, 65%, do include all employees traveling on business rather than just a select group like executives or project teams. Most companies, 60%, are also including all locations employees are traveling to on business rather than just higher risk locations, for example, the UK or Germany, with more than 50% using a company-determined threshold, so very similar to what we just talked about on the domestic side. Day thresholds continue to be critical design elements here too on the global side. Here's where it's different from a domestic travel program. In this situation, it's completely flipped and 88% of companies do reimburse for excess income tax. Generally, that's income tax paid in the location that the person has traveled to. Adding on to that, the majority of companies, more than 60%, will provide tax compliance services to the employee during that global travel period, as well as any post-travel period where trailing bonuses or equity compensation continues to be taxed related to that business trip. So I'm hearing that global and domestic travel programs, they do have some similarities for sure, but commuting is a different type of travel altogether. And this category of traveler is regularly traveling between their workplace and their primary residence. So what does a typical commuter program look like? 
So for commuter programs, many companies will have specific roles or positions that have been designated as commuter roles. Some organizations will use a commuter arrangement as an alternative to a temporary assignment or even relocation. So a lot of in these situations, as we've just described, these are employer-requested commuting arrangements. 80% of companies will differentiate between an employer-requested commuter arrangement versus an employee-requested. So the employee-requested could be, I know my job is in New York, but I'd like to live in Florida and I'll commute. Approvals are generally needed for all of these commuter arrangements. However, tax reimbursements, compliance services are generally not provided to employees who are requesting these arrangements on their own. For employer-requested arrangements, the majority of companies will provide tax equalization, so the employer is responsible for any excess taxes. 75% of companies will provide tax compliance services. For domestic commuter arrangements, we see a little bit of a difference where 50% of companies will provide a commuter allowance rather than reimbursing actual expenses. And this is really just a way to reduce some internal administration and ensure that payroll reporting is done in a simpler, easier way. You've really given me a lot to think about. There's a lot to consider as companies plan for the return to business travel and revisit their mobility practices. A formal policy could definitely help manage everyone's expectations and facilitate tax compliance processes and manage risk for all the parties involved. So after almost two years of a pandemic with limited to no travel, it's hard to imagine the future of business travel, and it's even harder to predict when business travel is going to return back to normal, if there ever is a new normal. So here's a burning question for many business travelers. Will business travel ever return to where it was pre-COVID? I'm going to be optimistic, Margie, and say yes, but our survey data also says the same. This is a very common question we get from companies, and many organizations are still trying to figure out what the future of business travel will look like for them. While it may take some time for organizations to reach the level of business travel they had pre-pandemic, it would appear that organizations are eager to have employees back on the road at least starting slowly. Many companies are expecting to return to pre-COVID volume levels by mid to late 2023, with 50% of companies expecting business travel volume to actually increase over pre-COVID levels in the next two years. So I would say that the majority of these survey respondents has definitely shared my optimism. Eileen, you have given us a lot of really good information to consider. So before we sign off, What would you say are the key takeaways for our listeners? I think the key takeaway, Margie, is mobility volume for travel, frequent travel and commuting will rebound and will likely increase over pre-COVID levels. For many organizations, this could impact approximately 30% of the organization's global employee workforce. For many organizations, the number of employees in their workforce that actually have these types of arrangements could be as much as 30% of the organization's global employee workforce. So it's quite a lot of potential impacted employees. We've seen the regulatory environment focus on this type of mobility and authorities do expect organizations to know who is traveling, how long they're in a country, what activities they're engaged in. And obviously they do expect companies to be compliant with reporting income and withholding taxes. Companies that do not yet have formal programs or review processes in place I think this is a great time for them to consider 
when they expect to see business travel returning, and then what is the best approach for them for the future. Eileen, thank you for joining me on this episode of Tap into Tax. You've provided some valuable insights from PwC's Business Travelers and Commuters Survey. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us. We look forward to engaging with you as we tap into tax. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.